Well, this week, uh, the Foursquare denomination hosts every year an annual convention. It's, uh, it's one of the things that, uh, if you're familiar at all with organizations and even the, the laws that govern how organizations are run, we're supposed to have annual meetings. And, and so uh, every Memorial Day weekend and starting on Memorial Day, Foursquare has its annual convention and so there are about between five and 7,000 Foursquare pastors and leaders and missionaries, leaders from around the world that are meeting in Washington, D.C. this year. Pastor Tom and Deb are actually there. Uh, we were unable to go uh, this year because we have a few things happening in our family right now. Um, but it's one of the highlights of the year for Foursquare. It's a time where our leadership casts vision. Uh, there's reports about what God has been doing, which is always amazing, not just here in the U.S., but globally. Not, not the thousands or the tens of thousands or the hundreds of thousands, but literally the millions of people whose lives have been impacted. Every year we hear that over a million people have given their lives to Jesus through the work of Foursquare somewhere around the world. And so there are good things happening. I want to invite you to be praying for, uh, for the Foursquare movement and for our denomination as, as these leaders gather together. But I also want to extend an invitation to you. The, the main sessions of this conference are actually available to you online. Uh, you can live stream them. Of course, there's a time difference. So the morning sessions start at about 6 a.m. our time. But the evening sessions happen about three, 3 in the afternoon, and if you have an opportunity to tune in and, and maybe watch some of those, uh, I encourage you to do that. You can find those at foursquare.org. Uh, just simply go to foursquare.org, and there'll be links on there where you can find uh, that live stream. Uh, but exciting time. We know that God is doing incredible things in His church, and we're glad to be a part of it. So speaking of which, we started a series a few weeks ago called The Church Jesus Loves. The Church Jesus Loves. And we're going to continue with that series this morning. Uh, you know, it was birthed out of this idea in my heart that I was praying about, Lord, where are you leading us as a congregation and what are you speaking to us? And, and the, the fact that Jesus wants us to understand that he's called us to be a certain kind of church. I'm not talking about decor. I'm not talking about uh, even our, our values or our mission statement. I'm not talking about location or, or the style of the building or school that, that the church would meet in. Uh, I mentioned that first week, I grew up in a church that was almost 9,000 people uh, in South Africa. And when, when I would drive to church on Sunday morning, we would pass a church that met under a tree and under, under an acacia tree. Uh, both were church, right? And so, so often we, we tie church to a location or, or to a building, but, but that's not the way that Jesus sees the church. See, the church is people. In fact, we made this statement that, that Jesus didn't predict a place, he predicted a people. Jesus didn't predict a place, he predicted a people. And we can get so fixated on the place, the location, the logistics, and all of those things. But, but we're called to be the church that Jesus loves. And it's not that at any point Jesus stops loving us. We know this, that Jesus' love never fails. It never gives up on us. But I do know this. As a parent, I love my children, but I'm not always pleased with my children. I love my children, but there's times where their behavior doesn't please me as their father. It doesn't represent 
uh, our family well. It doesn't represent our home well, and it doesn't represent the Lord well. And it, and 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 honestly, there's those times where you just your heart breaks. And I'm blessed to actually have great kids, and they still break my heart sometimes, and some of their behavior. I'm looking at the guys right here. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Talking about Micah. Um, <laughs> Oh, wait, this is being recorded. Oh, oh, wow. Can, hey, parents, can you relate to that, right? We love, our, we love our kids, but sometimes we're not pleased. Can I tell you, Jesus loves his church, but he's not always pleased with his church. There's things that we do as a church, the big C church, and even sometimes this body, this congregation, that I believe grieves the heart of the Lord. See, our goal is to accurately, accurately portray and represent Jesus Christ to the world. That's, what we're suppo- that's why we're called Christians, that our job is to accurately portray and display the likeness of Jesus to the world. You know, in the, more, in the world around us, more and more, we hear people saying things like, I, I don't have a problem with Jesus, I just have an issue with the church. I don't, I don't mind Jesus. I, I think Jesus is okay. I like the teaching of Jesus. I just don't like his followers. There's a problem with these followers. And, and that should bother us. The people that say that shouldn't bother us, by the way. And, and that kind of has become the default setting for the church. If you say something anti-church, I'm going to come back against you and attack you. Rather than us stepping back and going, is there any truth to this? Is there any truth to what they're seeing? What they say about most stereotypes is that they're true, right? Stereotypes happen because there's some modicum of truth to it, but then we go to this nth degree and we go over the top. It should bother us. It should bother us that, that at any point, at any time, that Jesus is not represented well to the world. It should bother us that there's behavior and actions that would take place in the context of church where non-believers, people who don't know Jesus yet, would say, oh, that's wrong. Now, there's areas of understanding, and, and when you're, you're standing in a place where you don't fully understand the, the inner workings, yeah, there might be that, that propensity to say, well, I don't get it. But, but here's what I saw in Jesus' life, and we see in his life throughout Scripture, is is that he was completely different to everyone, right? He was completely different. There was no one like him, yet he related to everyone. People loved being with him, and they followed him by the thousands everywhere he went. He couldn't get time alone. Is it possible to be different and still likable? Absolutely, it has to be. In fact, our mission hinges on this fact that what we bring and what we offer is truth. And truth isn't always easy to hear, but it needs to be packaged in a way with loving arms that people would say, man, I hear what you're saying and it's a hard teaching, but because of the love I'm experiencing, I'm ready to go there with you. And so there has to be the shift in us. It starts with you and it starts with me. So we've talked about a few things. The church Jesus loves, loves like Jesus The church Jesus loves extends the grace of Jesus. Church Jesus loves brings the hope of Jesus. The church Jesus loves has the fear of the Lord. The church Jesus loves is united in Christ. And today I want to talk about the church Jesus loves gives like Jesus. 
The church Jesus loves gives like Jesus. Now, right off the bat, I used, yes, I used the word give. And, and I know this because I've grown up in church and I've been a pastor for a while, is that anytime you start talking about giving, people start kind of squirming in their seats, and there's just kind of this general awkwardness. And I'm not talking about people who don't know the Lord. I'm talking about Christians, right? We get kind of squirmy. It can be a touchy subject. And it's one of these areas when, when the world, and we understand the way that the world looks at the church, it can be one of those areas of indictment against the church, this idea that the church is just, that, that we're money grabbers. We just want your money, right? We just want you to get in church so you will give. And, and, and here's the problem with this, is that history doesn't prove this wrong. That the church really has a bad reputation historically when it comes to money. We've not done a good job. We've kind of derailed at some points in our history, but that doesn't mean that we ignore the subject. Can I just tell you, just because something's not easy to talk about it, talk about doesn't mean we don't talk about it, all right? There, that's, that's a word for someone this morning. There might be things in your home, in your marriage, in your family, in your work situation that, man, this is a hard thing to talk about. Well, don't just ignore it. it doesn't, things don't just go away because we don't talk about it. So often we need to, to have the hard conversations and we need to talk about these things so that there can be understanding and there can be wholeness. Here's what I've discovered in my life is that it's the sensitive places, the touchy places in my life are the exact places that God wants to minister to. It's the places that need attention. And I've gone around that, that mountain so many times in my life where God said, hey, I need to deal with this part of your life. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm just going to pretend you didn't say that. And then the next day and the next month and the next year and the next decade, God's still going, I still see that thing that I need to deal with in your life. And I'm still going, I really don't want to talk about it. And he's going, you don't have an option. And at that point, it's sensitive. The best example I could think of is this. If you have ever had a toothache... You can't ignore it away, right? You can't ignore it away. And there's just something about a toothache. Maybe it's just the proximity to all of the nerves and your, your brain function, but it just, that, it's all you can think about. There, there might be other places of pain or hurt that you can ignore a little bit more, but when it comes to a toothache, the fact is you have to eat. And every time you take a bite of something and that pain is there, it's just not good. And so you go and you give it the attention it deserves. And by the way, you don't look it up on YouTube and go, how do I fix this myself, right? Please don't do that. It's not a good idea. You go see someone who has the tools and the experience and the education to deal with that thing. When it comes to the sensitive areas of our lives, these places that are touching, we go, ooh, don't talk about that. You can talk about my faith all you want. Grow your faith and do, do great things for the Lord. You can talk about my calling, but when it comes to giving, don't go there. Don't talk about my money. Don't talk about my stuff. And can I tell you, I've had the opportunity to, be, to travel around the world, and, and this is an issue everywhere, but it's especially an issue in the USA. It's an issue for us. Why? Because we've got more stuff, and we've got more money, and more money and more stuff doesn't equal more freedom. It equals more, very often, bondage. So, Let's have a hard conversation today 
but a good one. Let's talk about something that's sensitive. My goal is not to step on nerves, but to bring understanding. So the church Jesus loves gives like Jesus. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 8.32, He did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for, uh, for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? I believe that part of the issue with giving is that we've adopted this perspective that when we talk about giving, we're just talking about money, and we're not. That giving is so much more than writing a check. I would even say this, writing a check or putting some money in the offering or like doing an electronic transaction is actually the easy part. It's the easy part of giving because I can write a check and feel like I've made some kind of difference. And, and, and the truth is you can. And, and the big part of that is worship. And we're going to talk about tithing and offering in just a minute. But the reality is this, is giving is so much more than finances. And if all we do is relegate it to finances, we've actually done the easy part of giving. And God says there's so much more. Jesus models it. God, God loved us so much. He loved you so much that he gave, not $10, but his son that Jesus came, and as Isaac was talking about, he willingly went to the cross. God gave his son, and, and, he, and, and then in Romans, he did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. That when it comes to giving, Jesus sets a very high standard, a very high mark for us that we should attain to, that he gave everything. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And there's a clue in here that Paul writes about, this idea that, that when we give, that, oh, it's, it's, it's so hard, we don't want to let go of those things. And he's saying, listen, Jesus gave you, I gave you Jesus who gave you all things. He's going to give you even more. I, I like this. The heart of Heavenly Father is to give you all things. Everyone say that with me, all things. Okay, now say it with conviction. All things. You can't wrap your head around that. You can't. You can try, but you can't because you don't even know what you need. You don't know what you need, and God's, God does, and he says, I'm willing to give you the things you don't even know that you need. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants to give. This passage in Romans chapter 8, Paul spent time talking about the fact that we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ and that we can cry out to him as Abba Father, as our, our, our daddy God, our Papa God, that, that God that wraps his arm around us and, and cares for us, who, who takes care of every need, that a co-heir, one who, who we share in the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. Church, this is amazing. You are a co-heir, a joint heir with Jesus Christ of the kingdom of heaven. Again, you can't wrap your head around that. But this is what's being given to you. This is what Jesus has done in giving himself. God has done giving his son to you that you would have this kind of inheritance, that you would have this kind of belonging in the kingdom of God. So we have to understand giving 
the way that Jesus understood giving and move in our lives in a way that says, Jesus, I want to give the way that you gave. The church Jesus loves gives like Jesus, and that kind of church, that kind of people makes an impact in the world because it's so counterculture. It's so absolutely counterculture. Why is it a problem that the church would be perceived as money-grabbing or money-hungry? Because it's very opposite to the heart of God. Absolutely opposite to the heart of God. And there are spiritual principles and and the the principles of Scripture that we'll talk about in regards to sowing and reaping that are important for us to understand as followers of Jesus Christ. But when it comes to our witness to the world, that that, that our witness should not be, oh, they just want my money. That it would be, there is something there that God wants to deposit in your life and we're ready to go and give what it is that you need. Acts 20, verse 30, 35 says this. Paul, again, writing, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed, blessed to, re- to give than to receive. It's more blessed to, re- to give than to receive. I'm getting that backwards in my, my tongue-twisted moment here. It's more blessed to give than receive. And we've heard that. You've probably quoted that before. But here's the, here's the problem. We can think it with our heads, and our hearts sometimes have a hard time with that. It's more blessed to give than to receive. See, both are a blessing. Giving and receiving are both a blessing. That's what Paul is saying here. He's just saying that giving has, carries a greater blessing with it. And the problem for us is this, is that we get more comfortable being on the receiving end. We like receiving. Anyone like receiving? Right? Okay. Just raise your hand. Everyone likes getting stuff. Come on. Christmas morning, you come down, and I know, like, there's the five love languages, right? And there's the, the gift givers, and the, right? I'm not talking about that. The reality is we all like receiving blessings. We all like receiving uh, things from, from family gifts, whether it's on Christmas morning or a birthday. We like to receive blessings. But the principle of the kingdom of God is this, is that when you give, you experience a greater blessing. We're a consumer society. We've become a consumer society And here's the problem with consuming. Consuming doesn't come with a blessing. Can I say that again? Consuming doesn't come with a blessing. I'm going to pause real quick. Is it cold in here? Okay. We're doing all right? Okay. Consuming doesn't come with a blessing. In fact, consuming comes with this idea. Comes with this idea. I worked hard for it. I made it happen. This is mine to enjoy. Get your hands off. Right? We, er- we learn this at an early age, don't we? Come on, if you've got a two-year-old in the house, you know what I'm talking about. You get those grubby little fingers on something, and it's, this is mine. This is mine, and it is the sin nature at work right in front of us. This is mine. I got it. I earned it. It's mine to keep. But, but here's what I know. I've never at any point in my life made this statement. I felt so much closer, closer to the Lord when I bought. 
God, I, I saved up for that big screen TV, and I went and bought it, and in that moment, I just felt so close to you. I felt your presence, <laughs> right? I, I, I'd been, I, I saved up for that car. I wanted that car. I wanted that, that, that purse. Not, not me, my wife. Um, <laughs> there was that purse that I wanted, that pair of shoes, whatever it is. No one would ever say, well, there's this thing that I saved up for, and when I bought that thing, I just experienced the fullness of the blessing of God in that moment. Now, we could understand, God's blessed me, and so I'm able to, to maybe buy that thing or take that vacation, but the reality is consuming doesn't inherently come with a blessing. We consume, and there's things we need to consume. The problem is this. When we become a consumer society, consuming becomes the focus, and we bring that into our relationship with God and into the church. And so we've even heard people say things like, I'm shopping for a new church. I'm church shopping. That's consumer, and I've mentioned that before. Last year, I, I, in the midst of a, one of my messages, I made this statement. We, we don't get to choose where we go to church. We think that that's our decision. Well, I want to find a church that meets my needs. How about we stop and say, God, where are you calling me to go to church? Which, which expression of the body of Christ am I supposed to be a part of? Where's the place where my gifts and my abilities and my passions are going to be really used to the, the glory of the kingdom of God? God, where is it that you want me to be? And so we need to start church shopping and bringing our consumer mentality into the church and say, God, I'm available. Send me where you need to send me. So why don't we give more? And, and know this, I know we have a generous church. We have a, a small but generous church. I know every time that Gary Keene comes here and he sets his table up and, and he's able to, to raise support for his church or we, we announce that we need support in one way or another, that this church steps up. I know Gary walks away every time going, I can't believe your church supported me in that way. And, and so I love what God is doing in the life of our church. But I know this, and I'm just going to pass on what God's speaking to me, is don't settle for less. Start asking God, how can I partner with you more? So why don't we give more? Why don't we give more? And why do we get freaked out when it comes to giving? Well, there's a few different reasons. One might be this, we're struggling we're struggling. You might be struggling in your finances. You might be in a season where you're just going, I'm living pay to paycheck to paycheck, and there's just not enough in the account. There's not enough in the paycheck to cover all the bills that are coming up. Maybe there's just a season where there's been, a, been hardship, and you're just struggling. I think every one of us has been there. Maybe you're there right now. Maybe it is that you've seen this message abused in the, in the church, and there's just kind of this thing that kind of get, rises up in you. Maybe even right now, you're just kind of like, just kind of, you know, what I'm, you know what I mean, right? Like, all right, can we just be done? Because you've seen it abused, and, and there has been abuse. Maybe it's this. We have a scarcity or poverty mindset, and I believe this last one is really where the heart of the issue is. Scarcity is this, that there's a limited amount available, so I need to protect it. There's a limited amount, so I need to protect it. I got to just kind of hoard it and then attack anyone who gets close to it or threatens it. 
So scarcity, there's, there's just not enough. If you've ever seen Ice Age, the movie's Ice Age, one, two, three, four thousand. Um, <laughs> it feels like every time I go to the movie theater, there's a preview for Ice Age. I'm like, How, okay, can we move into the Bronze Age now? Can we do it in a different age? Um, but you know, you know there's that little squirrel-like creature, right, with these acorn. And it's funny because he's just con- constantly trying to protect that stupid acorn. The idea being this, it's the Ice Age. So there's not a lot of acorns to go around. And in fact, in one of those, right, he's, he finds a girl squirrel. And he's like, ooh, she's pretty. And there's like the love. Until he realizes she's just after the acorn. And all of a sudden, he's not so much in love. He's like, I'm ready to tear you apart. Right? In fact, there's some conflict that happens because he's like, you're a girl. I'm a guy. You're pretty. I don't have you... Uh, do I? No, I'm hanging on to my acorn. Leave my acorn alone. So often that's the scarcity mentality we have in our lives. We just go protect the little bit that we have because it might run out. And what if it runs out and it's just creating stress and keeping me up at night? Or maybe you've got your bank account app on your phone and you're checking it all the time just to make sure. It used to be a check register. Anyone still like to keep a total check register? Come on, own it. Be proud about that. That's awesome. Way to go. I, not at all. I, I love Chase. Got my Chase app. But maybe you're like, oh, I'm just going to keep, maybe it's your Mint, Mint.com. You use that or whatever service you use. And, and you're just constantly checking. Is there enough? Is there enough? I'm going, I, I want to go grab a burger at In-N-Out. Is there enough? Now, there's good stewardship. But you see what I'm saying? There becomes this scarcity where I just got to protect it. Or I go to church and they're like, there's an opportunity to give. Well, if I, uh, if I do this and I do that, and then we start getting a little stressed about it, a little tense about it, and, and the last thing we do is, God, what are you asking me to do? Because you know what I see in Scripture is that God very often asks people to give the very little bit that they have, and he asks them to give it all. Because he wants to touch on the areas that need attention in our lives. I know this from my grandparents, um, kind of a post-World War II uh, generation that there was so little to go around during the war that people after the war became hoarders. I could just keep everything. My grandparents kept stuff that I'm going, you will never, ever, ever, ever need or use that again. No, but we got to keep it. We got to keep it just in case. That's a scarcity mindset. A poverty mindset is this I'll never have enough. No matter how much I have, I'll never have enough. I'll never get to a place where everything's okay. And this is really a source issue. When anything other than God becomes your source, you're living in poverty. And I don't care if you're living in a shack or a mansion. If anything other than God is your source, you're living in poverty. In poverty, it's so easy for us to to hear that word poverty, and we think dirty, right? Small home, dirt floor. In a few weeks, our team will be in Kenya, and we'll we'll get to see poverty. But a poverty mentality affects rich people as well as poor people, because if anything other than God is your source, you're living in poverty. And so we have to move out of a scarcity mindset and a poverty mindset to understand what it means to receive the blessing of God as we 
give. Because remember what we said before. God wants to bless you with what? Everything. All things. God wants to bless you with all things. Not my words, but his words. He wants to bless you. He wants to bring an abundance. God has more to give than you know that you need. And here's the truth of God's word. When you give, you will be a blessing. But when you give, you will also be blessed. When you give, you will be a blessing. But when you give, you will also be blessed. Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25 says this. I'm going to read it in the NIV, and then I want to read it out of the message uh, paraphrase. It says this in NIV. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Love that. Put it in a, a more modern translation. It says this, the world of the generous person gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. That's powerful. That is absolutely powerful. And it ties into a New Testament principle that we read about called sowing and reaping. See, a farmer understands this. If I go out out into my field and I I plant a minimal amount of seed, I'm going to get a minimal amount of harvest. But if I sow abundantly, I will reap abundantly. And so often we sow sparingly in our lives in the ways that we give, and then we wonder where the blessing is. And God's saying you need to sow abundantly. So Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse starting in verse 6. Remember this whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I feel like I need to pause for a second because you're hearing these words. Maybe someone in here is hearing these words and you're going, I've, I've heard this sermon before, Pastor. In fact, I'm tired of hearing that verse because I've heard it used as a bat. Give, give generous, do it, don't be spared, right? Joyful heart. God loves a joyful giver. You know where this is going, and you're already kind of building your defenses. Can I just encourage you? Settle down in your heart and in your thinking. Remember, the frame here is, Lord, how are you calling us to give like Jesus gave? This isn't about money. We have to get it out of our thinking that this is just about money. Okay, we good? All right, here we go. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. Can I say that again? You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. 
And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 10 and 11. He's going he's gonna to move in such a way that he's not going to increase your harvest. He's going to increase your seed. Because if you have more seed to sow, you gain a greater harvest. And there's principles of multiplication here that, the king, that are working the kingdom of God. That we, again, church, we can't wrap our heads around it. We have to walk in faith when it comes to these things. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be what? generous on every occasion. Does that mean on Sunday mornings when they pass the offering basket? No, that's part of it, but no, it's more than that. On every occasion that God is calling you to be generous in your life in other ways other than writing a check or or hitting send on an electronic payment or putting cash in a basket. He's calling us to a greater life of generosity. And so I want to talk about four ways Four ways that God calls us to be generous. Four ways that he's calling you and me to give generously. The first is this, generous with our faith. Generous with our faith. Your faith in Jesus Christ is the single greatest thing you have to give. Your faith in Jesus Christ is the single greatest gift, the greatest thing you have to give. I would prefer it. I would ask it. I would pray for it. I would request of the Lord, not that we would be a greater tithing or giving church in finances, but that we would share our faith at every opportunity we have. I said it before, it's easier to write a check than to actually stand up and give our lives in the service of the Lord. God is calling us to be generous with our faith. Why? Because people are desperate to know Him. Even though they don't know, they're desperate to know Him. And you have Jesus to give. Why? Because He's given Himself to you. That we would be a church who is generous with our faith. We use the the word evangelism. I grew up in in, in a time where like door-to-door evangelism was kind of the big thing. And I was like, I am not an evangelist. Because I do not want to go and knock on the door of someone I don't know. And it kind of scared me, and it put me off. And so the word evangelism for me for years was associated with something that was uncomfortable for me to do. But the reality, the truth is this, church, if we've been given the gift of Jesus, why would we not want to give him to other people? Why would we be stingy with our faith? Why would we be stingy with the gospel? But we are. Maybe not overtly, but maybe it's just become this lethargy for us. When you read about the early church in the book of Acts, there was this fire that was driving them forward. And there were people coming daily, tens tens and hundreds and thousands of people coming to the Lord daily. Why? Because they had a great marketing program? Because they did a Facebook ad? Because they had a great building? No, they had none of those things. They didn't even have a Bible. They didn't have a worship team. 
right? Hillsong or elevation worship didn't exist. Why were people coming? Because people were being impacted by the gospel, impacted by the gospel, and they were being generous with their faith. They were going out, going, "This Jesus has made all the difference in my life, and you need Him." And people want what you need. We read this passage a few weeks ago, and it's worth reading again, 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Why is that important? Because he needs to be Lord. Because other things will try and bring lordship over your life. There's other places that will try and master you and become, as kids would say, the boss of you. So why revere him as Lord? Because it puts him in his rightful place in your life. All right, I'm going to pause again real quick. I'm cold. Um, Can we? (laughs) If I'm cold, somebody in here is cold. Can I get an amen? Yeah, some of you in the, I think it's this part of the room is on icebox mode. Um, All right. In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Put him in his rightful place because he is Lord of all. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have to anyone who asks. Okay, so so this begs a couple of questions. Has anyone asked you lately why you have the hope that you have? Right? I hope I hope they have, but if, if they haven't, there's a reason for that. They can't see it. Ouch. They can't see it. If no one's asking you what it is that's different about your life, they probably can't see it, which means you're not being generous with your faith. Man, I am stomping on all kinds of toes today. But at some point, someone shared the gospel with you. At some point, someone shared the hope of eternity, the person of Jesus Christ with you. Always be prepared to give an answer. Don't be stingy with your faith. And can I tell you, this is infinitely and eternally more important than writing a check. Because that will fade. The reality is, is that we will see people in heaven, not stuff. Why did Jesus come? He came to reconcile man to God. He came to testify to the truth and he came to set the captives free. And he has equipped you with that message of hope. And can I tell you, he expects that you would go and you would give that message of hope. See the Great Commission in Matthew 28. We are called to go. Stop thinking that it's somebody else's job. We're not talking about missionaries here. We're talking about the church. That's you, that's me. We're called to go every day, everywhere we go, to everyone we meet, that we would be generous with our faith. Can I tell you, this is not a country club, club for a select few. Jesus paid the price for everyone. And I know because I've visited churches like this, and my prayer is that this church would never be that church where you walk in and go, oh, wait, 
This is not for me, not because I don't want to be here, because I've been, in one way or another, been communicated to that this is probably not the right place for me to be. My prayer that this church, that this expression of the body of Christ would always be open to every single person who would walk through those doors and that every person would feel loved and welcomed, embraced, not by the greeting team and not by the pastor, but by every person that calls this church home. Why? Because we need to be generous with our faith. The second is this, we need to be generous with our resources. It's called stewardship. God has blessed you with stuff. And it's just stuff. There's a, we just moved. There's a bunch of stuff in my garage. And every time I pick up a box and move it, I'm going, why do we even have this stuff? Four or five years ago, our family, six years ago, our family was living in a travel trailer. Our kids shared a closet that was this big. All four of them. We had very little stuff. And all. And we moved, God blessed us with a home to live in. And all of a sudden, we were inundated with stuff. And now there's stuff on top of the stuff. Maybe it's that you shouldn't keep it, that God's saying, I need you to give some of this stuff away. Resources, stewardship, that you would create space in your life where you could pass those things on. The first, of course, is this, our finances. That we would be good stewards of our finances. And the way that's, that's really reflected isn't just how we spend our money. It's how we honor the Lord with our money. It used to be said, if you want to know where someone's priorities are, take a look at their checkbook. Look at your bank account. Look at your spending. What does your spending say about what the priorities of your life is? You'll learn a very quick lesson. God says that he's calling us to be a generous people when it comes to our finances. And can I tell you, this is not a New Testament principle or an Old Testament principle. It's a kingdom of God principle. That when we come to a place where we can let go of our money, as Paul says in Corinthians, with joyful hearts, celebrating as God has put on our hearts to give, there is such freedom that comes in that. See, money has been a problem since the beginning. Since God created the world and money shows up on the scene, it's been a problem. This is nothing new to us. And so he had to deal with it all throughout Scripture, the fact that money would have a hold on people. And then when we come to giving of our tithes and our offerings, what we're saying to God is, this does not have a hold of me. It's one of the very few places that tangibly we can do something that would express to God that I'm living in freedom in this part of my life. Malachi 3.10, you've heard this before and it's worth reading because it's in the word of God and God's word is life to us. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be no, not room enough to store it. This is a promise of God to you. It is a promise of God in your life, in your family, in your finances. And it's the only place in all of Scripture where God says, test me. Why would he do that? Because he knows our hearts. 
He knows how we can get so sideways when it comes to money. You know what I mean by sideways, right? Praise the Lord, everything is good. I love this church. You just talked about money, I'm out. That's sideways. That pastor is amazing. He preaches the truth. He just quoted Malachi 3. I'm not so sure about him. Sideways. We have to inspect those parts of our lives that are sensitive. Why is it sensitive when it comes to the subject of money? There's probably a place that God needs to deal with. And one of the evidences of freedom is the fact that we can give freely. That we can give the tithe, that we can give in the offering. I had to find breakthrough in this part of my life. I'd been a pastor for probably 16, 17 years, 15 years, before I actually got to a place where I was tithing regularly. Just be honest. Young, youth pastor, young family, not getting paid a lot, living paycheck to paycheck, and we were seeing the blessing of God in our lives, but it just always seemed there was more month than money. You know what I'm talking about? And so I rationalized in my own thinking, well, I'm serving the Lord, I'm giving of my time, Lord, I, I'm a pastor, and even this circular logic, well, if I tithe to the church and my paycheck comes from the church, and can I tell you, I was in such bondage in the area of finances, and here's what it forced me to do. It forced me to lie to my wife because I was putting things on credit cards and not telling about her, telling her about it. And here's the thing, and my wife has always had this healthy aversion to credit. She's like, just get rid of it. We don't need a credit card. And my, my response was always, well, just in case. And she's like, God is your just in case, not chase. <laughs> and it took me years. What was my problem? Fear. Fear was a huge one. Fear, because I had a scarcity mindset. I had a scarcity mindset. I grew up in a home where we had a, I grew up in a wealthy home. Grew up in a mansion. I grew up in a home where we never lacked for anything. But all I can remember growing up in, in six, seven bedroom houses with the nicest cars and swimming pools that the conversation on Sunday at lunch was always, there's not enough. And so I lived in constant fear in this area of finances. Control. I wanted to be in control. And the idea that I would relinquish control of my finances to the Lord by simply writing a tithe check, well, it just felt like I was out of control. I wanted to be in control. But here's what happened. Over time, the Lord just kept ministering because he's gentle. In the same way that Peter said, right, we need to do this in a way that's gentle. He doesn't beat people up. He leads people to repentance. And it got to a place in my life, and Megan and I were able to, to, to learn, first of all, we need to be out of debt. We need to get credit card debt, unsecured debt. We need to get it out of the way. We don't need to live in debt because it doesn't honor the Lord. And we need to honor the Lord with the tithe. We need to honor him. And I've got to tell you, but first, every time I wrote that tithe check, it was painful. It was painful. And and. Honestly, I didn't want it. There wasn't a cheerful heart. I was like, Lord, do you know how much I could do? <laughs> Did you catch the irony, by the way? I was tithing to a church that was paying my paycheck 
because people were tithing to the church. The enemy will get us so sideways in this and we will start rationalizing things in our own hearts and our minds. And can I just tell you, stop. Just stop for a second. Bring this before the Lord and say, Lord, what are you asking of me? What are you requiring of me? If money is a problem in your home, in your marriage, if it is a source of contention, the number one thing I would ask you is, are you honoring the Lord with the tithe? Are you honoring the Lord with the finances? Listen to me, church, not because he needs it. He doesn't need your $20. He doesn't need it. You know who needs you to tithe? You do. You need you to tithe. You need you to give of your finances. Why? Because it makes a declaration before the enemy that this is not a stronghold in my life. This is an area of freedom in my life. And I praise God that he's brought Megan and I. I've had to learn. I'm I'm 43 years old. I don't remember how old I was. I'm 43 years old and I'm still learning to manage my finances because I was never taught how to manage my finances. And we're still learning, and now it's pastoring a church and have to manage the finances of the church. And for some of you, I want to say this. Some of you, you're better at doing this at work than you are at home. If that's the case, you've got it backwards. Don't be the mechanic whose car's always broken down. If you're working finances and your personal finances are a mess, fix your house. Get your house in order. Okay. Our possessions, it's not just money. We honor the Lord with our possessions. God's blessed you with stuff so you can be a blessing. There are things in your home that I believe that God is calling you to give away. There's a great book called The Blessed Life written by Robert Morris. If you're a reader and you want to read more, it's probably one of the best books on the subject of living generously. Pastor Robert Morris and his wife tithe, I think it's around 90% of their paycheck. They've literally given homes away. It was, it's not uncommon for Robert to come home and he, to ask his wife, where's the car? And she would say, oh, there was someone I saw today and the Lord said, hey, that person needs your car, so I gave them the car. Can you imagine living like that? No, we can't, can we? It's really hard, but it's not impossible Why? Because God says, don't let your stuff own you. You own your stuff. Acts 2, 44 through 45, all the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. How awesome would it be that you would hear about something that God is doing, a work that he's doing somewhere in the world, and you would come home and say, you know that rental property we own? We're going to sell that property and we're going to give the proceeds of that sale to the kingdom of God. It happened in the early church and it still happens today. I just believe that God's calling us to an increase in this kind of giving in our stuff. We need to be generous. Third point with our time as we wrap up here. We need to be generous with our time. Jesus took time to be with people He took time to be with people, to sit with people, to be in their presence, to love on them, to care for them. 
and my time's valuable. I've got things to do. We're so busy. Can I just encourage you? Stop being busy. Stop. Stop being busy. Well, I've got, then, then reprioritize. People say this to me a lot. I get this a lot as a pastor. Pastor, I know you're busy. Because I know, yeah, because you know there's a lot of other people coming and asking, and that's okay. But I'm not busy. I love Peter Scazzaro says this. I'm not busy. I'm limited. I'm not busy. I'm limited. I have 24 hours in the day just like you, and I've got seven days in the week just like you, and there's only so much I can cram into that time. And so I have to prioritize the things I say yes to and the things I say no to. Can I encourage you to say yes to people more? Because Jesus took time to be with people. He even offended other people because he got distracted along the way. Like I said, in a few weeks, our team will be in Kenya. And one of the things I've had to train our team in is, is this. In Kenya, time functions differently. Am I right, Isaac? Right? For those who don't know, Isaac is from Kenya. See, we, we like to look at our, our watches or we, we're constantly checking the clock. What time is it? What time is it? Some of you might be looking right now. What time is it, Pastor? Are you going over or... Because we're, we're, we're driven by the clock. We have alarm clocks that go off and buzzers and things that tell us it's time to move on to the next thing. That doesn't exist in Kenya, at least not the way that we have it. See, because there, it's about relationship. And so I will sit, if I'm having a conversation with Fred, if I know that I have an appointment with Isaac, I know that, Isaac knows that, but I'm talking with Fred. And if Fred is in the middle of sharing with some, something about me, you know, hey, my kids were playing baseball this week and it was amazing and he's telling me a story, I'm not ever going to do this. Fred, I need to cut you off. I love your story, but I have an appointment with Isaac. Am I right, Isaac? Right? We're going to take time for the relationship and when the conversation is done, I'm going to cruise over, I'm going to meet Isaac, and I might be an hour and a half late. And people are like, oh, it's Kenyan time, and it drives Americans nuts when we go to Kenya. But here's what, here's what Isaac knows. You know what? There's probably a good reason that Barry's late. He was probably having a conversation with someone, and I'm so glad he got to have that conversation. Because now when, when I come to you, you're going to get all of me. See how that works? Jesus spent time with people, not in a rushed and hurried kind of way. He said, come, let's have a meal, let's sit. Which in that culture, was not, it was not in and out right? I mean, the name of the restaurant is in and out No, it's good. But come on, can you see that? Even the big, like, the big arrow, like, get in, eat your food, get out, because we got more people we need to serve. Breaking bread is about sitting down slowing down and sharing and doing life with each other. And I think this is one of the areas where, the, where we're the most stingy. There's people who want to spend time with you. Let me see if I can fit you in somewhere. What I just said to you is you don't matter as much as the other stuff in my life. Henry Nowen, who wrote amazing books. Anything he wrote, read it. It was good. I want to read a quote for you from Henry Nowen. More and more, the desire grows in me simply to walk around, greet people, enter their homes, sit on their doorsteps, play ball, throw water, and be known as someone who wants to live with them. 
It is a privilege to have the time to practice the simple ministry of presence. Still, it is not as simple as it seems. My own desire to be useful, listen to this, my desire to be useful, to do something significant, or to be a part of some impressive project is so strong that soon my time is taken up by meetings, conferences, study groups, and workshops that prevent me from walking the streets. It is difficult not to have plans, not to organize people around an urgent cause, and not to feel that you are working directly for social project progress but i wonder more and more if the first thing that shouldn't be uh, the first thing shouldn't be to know people by name to eat and drink with them to listen to their stories and to tell your own and to let them know with your words handshakes and hugs that you simply like them that you, that you do not simply like them but truly love them If you want that quote, I can send it to you. You can kind of mull over that a little bit. Could it be we just need to slow down and be with people more? And we need to stop devising strategies to reach our community. And those have their place. Man, people just want to be with you. There's a new Starbucks in town, in case you hadn't heard. (laughs) And it's much bigger and there's a place to sit and hang out. And if you want to find me, I probably won't be at the office. I'll probably be at Starbucks. Why? Because I love the coffee? Well, yeah. But I can get good coffee in other places. I, I had this happen this week. There's a barista named Angela who works there. And I've never really connected with her before. But I came up the other day and I ordered my Grande Americano with room. And she, she goes... Barry, right? I don't ever remember. I mean, of course, they, you know, they get your name and they put it on the cup. I don't ever remember having an engagement with her where our names were exchanged. And she said, Barry, right? And there's something about hearing your name coming out of someone else's mouth to be known. I want to sit in that Starbucks so that the baristas and the people who frequent that place, that I can get to a place where I'm like, hey, that's Doug. That's Judy. And say, hey, how's it going? In passing. Why? Because people want to be known. And Jesus knew that, so he took time to be with them. Where is the place in your life where you're getting to know people? If it doesn't exist, it's time to make a change. Be generous with your time. And in closing, be generous with your lives. Tomorrow is Memorial Day. We remember the freedom that has been secured for our nation, for our lives, by men and women, not thousands or tens or thousands or hundreds of thousands, but literally millions who have given their lives so that we can enjoy the freedoms we do in our nation. The saying we've heard before, freedom isn't free. Can I tell you that extends from the cross? That extends from the cross and the men and women who would march into battle and surrender their lives for people they don't even know, I believe is one of the greatest representations of the heart of Jesus Christ. That people would lay down their lives for people they don't even know. In service to God, to our nation, and to each one of us. Take time tomorrow 
to remember and thank God for those who have given their lives. But I also know this, throughout Scripture and through church history, there's been men and women and children who've given their lives, whose lives were redirected in a moment to something completely different to serve the kingdom of God. Some fishermen on the beach mending their nets. And this man walks up and says, come follow me. And they did. They walked away from their careers, from their source of income, from their destinies, from what had been done in their, their families for generations. And they turned to follow them, to follow him. And yes, Peter and John and James, they all went back and fished from time to time. And in fact, at times it was a source of contention because they were defaulting back to where the money was. But ultimately, they gave their lives. They went to the ends of the earth. They preached the gospel. They gave it all. Why? Because they were following the lead of Jesus Christ who gave himself. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, what? Christ died for us. He gave himself. He left his place in heaven to be with us. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. One of my favorite passages in Isaiah 6, 8, Isaiah is standing in the presence of God, and he's overwhelmed and undone by everything he's seeing and he's hearing. And then God says this, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And his response is this, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Church, writing a check is easy. Surrendering our lives and saying, God, whatever you ask of me, I will do it. That's where it's at. God, where are you leading me? Where are you calling me? What, what comfort zone are you calling me out of? What fear are you calling me out of? And what are you calling me into? How would you respond if today God were to say to you, hey, I'm calling you to leave your job, sell your home, and move to another nation? Could it happen? Absolutely, because it happens all the time. In fact, I, hap- I think it, the call happens all the time. It's just we hang up the phone. God, I don't want to have that conversation because I like my stuff and I like my money and I like my house. Perhaps it could look like this. At the very simplest level, that God's call on your life is simply to do this, to teach one of the children's classes here at Thrive Church. Oh, but I'm afraid. We'll help you. We'll teach you. We'll train you. We'll give you the tools you need to succeed. And great things are happening with our kids, and it's an honor, it's an honor and a privilege to invest in the lives of our children. Maybe God's calling you to be a part of the worship team. But but I have a fear of being in front of people. He'll help you with that. It's happening in front of us, and we don't even know it. Every Sunday, there's people up here singing and using their talents who I know just months ago were going, I would never have known I could ever do that. But it's happening. Maybe to serve at an outreach event like this Wednesday. Is that outreach? Absolutely. We're blessing our school. Well, I don't know if I have anything to give. Yes, you do. But it could also look like this. God's saying to you, it's time to make your career change that I've been talking to you about for years. Well, Lord, I'm, I'm 45 years old. Do you think God cares that you're 45? 
Does he go, oh, my bad. <laughs> You're right. You're right. That, I, that's, this is not like the military where you miss the cutoff date. We're part of the kingdom, and this is eternal. And God says, I will redirect your life in the same way that he did Simon Peter. Can't imagine yourself preaching to crowds of thousands. Doesn't matter. If God sees it, it can happen. Maybe moving to another place, another city, or another country. I don't know, fill in the blank. Maybe God's already stirring in your heart. But can I tell you, be generous with your life. Be generous. Be ready to give of who you are. In, in so doing, we represent Jesus well. I know there's been times for Megan and I, we would call our family and saying, hey, we're, we're doing this. What? <laughs> we're selling everything. We're going to live in a trade. What? <laughs> what? Do you need money? What can help you? No, it's not, that's not that. What? We don't understand. Well, here's why. And then you watch as God does something amazing and people go, what is it about you? What is it? Can we stand together as we close? I invite the worship team to come. So what's the point of engagement for you today? What does this look like for you? Well, only you can answer that question. I would say, if nothing else, be generous with your faith. Please share Jesus with people. Share the hope. Share your time. Spend time to be with people. Share of your resources, your finances. I want to encourage you, if, if tithing is a tough subject for you, if you want to talk about it more, I'm happy to have a conversation about it. i got to tell you, I wrestle with the word tithe. Not just in my own life, but as a pastor. I don't want to, Lord, does this represent you well? I, I want you to experience all of what God has for you. And I believe, I believe that for our church, that means... We're going to talk about tithing. We're going to talk about giving, sacrificial giving. Why? Because God needs it? Again, no, because you do. So let's be a church that makes an impact in the kingdom of God. Be ready to give our lives. Lord God, this morning, the only reason we can have this conversation, Jesus, is because you gave. Sacrificially, over the top, abundantly, to the point that you would lay down your own life for us. Jesus, your own words were that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life. Lord, that your call on your church is not to be served, but to serve. And so, Lord, I ask that you would forgive us in the places we, we, we've turned church into a consumer mentality. We've turned it into a place where, where the gospel is consumed. Little more than self-help messages. Lord, we can't help ourselves. We need you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would light a fire in us that would direct us to the call that you have for us to give of ourselves in every way, in any way that we can. And that we would honor you and that people would come to you as they see that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together as we close. Our worship team is available. If you want to pray, uh, we'd love to partner with you in prayer.
to you. 